Awesome. Well, thanks so much, everyone. It's so great to see you all. Um, and I am excited to be... Everyone can sit down if you like. <laughs> I'm, I don't know. Anyway, whatever. Uh, <laughs> um, it's so great to be sharing the word with you um, this morning. We are starting off this morning our new series, um, all um, unpacking the book of Ephesians. Um, I love it every time that we do this um, at church here and um, taking a book of the Bible and spending a bunch of weeks just really unpacking and digging deep on it. And so I'm really excited to get into this today. Um, as Nick mentioned, pastors Paul and Kate are away this week. Paul is actually preaching um, in our Innisfail location this morning also on Ephesians chapter one, even right now as we speak probably. So, um, so that's pretty cool. But um, let's get right on into it. Um, you know, each week of this series, we're gonna go chapter by chapter studying Ephesians together. You know, it's difficult to comprehensively cover um, a whole chapter of the Bible in one message. And so probably what we're gonna do and what especially we'll do today is we'll cover the key themes, but maybe dig deep on a few verses. But, um, and then in, your, in life groups, we're gonna go even deeper on those as well. So that's gonna be really great. Um, and so the question for us is, what can we do as individuals to make our time in Ephesians even better? Um, you know, if we're reading chapter one this week, we're gonna cover chapter two next week. Uh, the week after that, we'll ch cover chapters three and four together. And then following that, chapters five and six on their own separate weeks. And, you know, maybe one way that we can approach this is that before next Sunday, maybe at home, um, we can read through chapter two. Let's read through it um, all at once to catch the key themes and ideas and then read it again slowly to pick up the, the questions that you have, the confusion that you have, maybe the things that stand out to you, the things that you think that maybe God is speaking to you in. So then when we come together on Sunday, when we come together in life groups, we've all got a really great understanding of what maybe God is speaking to us or maybe the questions that we have. You know, um, you know, I guess really what I'm saying is let's participate in this together. You know, when we all come here on a Sunday or into our life groups, we come as individuals, but our unity is really um, determined by how much we are willing to be unified together. And so let's participate in this together. Um, so we're starting the book of Ephesians today. Um, and so if we're starting, let's start even right before the start. If chapter one, verse one is the start of Ephesians, let's start even before then. You know, when we are studying a, a book of the Bible, it's super important for us to understand two things. Who wrote it and who did they write it to? Or author and audience. So, you know, I don't know if you've ever experienced this using maps on your phone or even a paper map, but um, that if you don't know where you are on that map in relation to where you're going, it's really hard to understand what's going on and how you can get there. And so it's the same for us when we're reading the Bible. It's super important for us to understand who wrote it and who they're writing to in, in particular books so we can understand where we're heading as we're reading it. So who is the author of Ephesians? Um, like half of the New Testament books, it's the Apostle Paul. Now, probably the main thing that you need to know about Paul is that he was a Jewish religious leader uh, going around and killing Christians because he considered them to be offensive, wrong, dangerous until God met him in a radical way. 
And from then, he was never the same. He would go on to give his life for the advancement of the Christian faith, um, both for his people, the Jews, but also for the whole world as well. He wrote the book of Ephesians, this letter to the Ephesian church when he was under house arrest in Rome, um, maybe around AD 60, also around the same time as he wrote the the letters to the Colossians and the Philippians as well. So that's author. Audience. I mentioned just briefly before that this this letter was written to the Ephesian church, the church at Ephesus. Um, But many agree that it was also um, circulated amongst nearby churches in that area as well, this letter. But the unique thing about the letter to the Ephesians is that um, unlike maybe Corinthians or Colossians, Paul is not addressing a specific issue in the church. Paul is purely writing to encourage them to help the Ephesian church, to help them understand what God had called them to. I don't know if you have experienced this, but I certainly have when reading Paul's letters is that they can be really dense. There's a lot that he is unpacking and describing. And so today we're not covering the whole chapter. Um, We'll talk about the key themes of the chapter as we move through the message, but we're going to spend most of our time in verses 15 to 23. Um, And we're going to have a touch point on most of those verses as well. So if you're ready, let's go. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 15 to 23. And it says, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know Him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which He has called you, the riches of His glorious inheritance in His holy people and His incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength He exerted when He raised Christ from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under His feet and appointed Him to be the head over everything for the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him, who fulfills everything in every way. So, there's a lot here, um, but... Paul starts this passage with a prayer. Did you notice it? Did you pick it up? You know, every so so often throughout Paul's writings, he gives us a glimpse of the kinds of things that he prays for. When we get to chapter three of Ephesians, keep an eye out for another one of Paul's prayers. That one is really especially good. Um, But whenever I read them, those prayers especially stand out to me. It feels like I'm getting a peek behind the curtain. I'm being told what the secret ingredient is. See, Paul is the most prolific writer in the New Testament. Aside from Jesus, it could be argued that his life had the most significant impact. And you and I, who are probably not Jewish, have Paul to thank for taking the message of Jesus to the non-Jews, to the Gentiles. Now, I'm not sure about this analogy, but go with me anyway. If, if prayer is the secret source to our lives as Christians, 
to see what Paul, Jesus, and others prayed for is like being told the secret ingredients to the secret sauce. So we get a glimpse into what and how Paul um, is praying for the Ephesians in these verses. And so that's what we're gonna unpack today. How was Paul praying for the church at Ephesus and what do those prayers mean for us today? And so we see right here in the beginning that Paul says, I keep asking that God would. And even in the verse before, I have not stopped giving thanks for you. And so what does this tell us about how Paul prayed? I think that this tells us that Paul was persistent in his prayers. He cared about the Ephesians so deeply and cared for them so much that they would be formed in Christ that he kept on praying for them persistently, consistently. Now, this reminds me of a parable that Jesus told. You know, one of my um, favourite things about the Bible is that even though it was written by different people at different times, it still connects and links and references itself. And so when you notice these similar themes running through Scripture, pay attention. That is the Holy Spirit's work. The Bible doesn't get our attention by yelling. It gets our attention by repeating itself. And so the parable that I'm thinking of, it's the parable of the widow who kept bothering the judge for justice. Now, I won't read it, but I will read Luke chapter 18, verse one, the verse right before Jesus tells this parable. And it says, then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. I think that that sounds so much like how Paul was praying, Um, that Paul was saying things like, I keep asking that God would, I have not stopped giving thanks. And I think that means for us that Jesus is asking us to be persistent in our prayers. Jesus has asked us to always pray and not give up. So let this be an encouragement and a reminder for us that whatever is going on in your life, whatever is on your mind, whatever is bothering you, pray for it. Pray for it consistently, persistently, daily. Pray for it. Pray for God's kingdom to come, for salvation in your workplace, for God's work in your family. Pray for it consistently. So, Paul prayed persistently for the Ephesians, but the question is, what was that prayer? So in verse 17, it says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know Him better. You know, when I was um, leading a life group in youth ministry, I found myself that this was the prayer that I kept coming back to constantly. As I prayed for the teenage girls in my life group that they would know God better. You know, there's lots of things that you can pray for and want for a person that um, they would have great friends, good grades, a safe and steady home. And so I would pray for all of those things, but I always found myself coming back to the same prayer, that these girls would know God and love God. Because if I know God, I find out that He is trustworthy. So I have peace that He's got it all sorted on my behalf. Because if I know God, I find out that His love is unfailing. And so I'm less likely to look for that love in a destructive place. Because if I know God, I find out that He is all powerful. So I have confidence that no obstacle will be too hard for me. Because if I know God, 
I find out that His wisdom is far beyond my own and so I need not have decision-making anxiety. Because if I know God, I find out that He knows the end from the beginning so I need not fear uncertainty. Because if I know God, I find out that He is slow to anger so I can turn to Him when I mess up rather than turning away from Him. You know, I could go on forever but you can see how every part of our lives is tied up in knowing God. And I actually wonder if the chief pursuit of our lives is to know God and to love God. Intellectually, yeah, lots of people know about God, but personally as well. And so if we find Paul persistently praying that for the Ephesians, and so we keep, we see him praying for that for them over and over again. And according to Paul, how do we know God? It's through the spirit of wisdom and revelation. It's the Holy Spirit that gives us wisdom and understanding that we need to know God. Because, you know, our minds, as amazing as they are, have very limited capacity to understand God in all of His bigness. And so it's the Holy Spirit that gives us that understanding and we can ask Him for that. We can persistently ask. We can boldly ask the Holy Spirit for wisdom and revelation that we might know God and that the people around us might know God too. So Paul prays consistently and persistently that the Ephesians would know God through the Holy Spirit and then he goes on to pray for three things specifically. So let's have a look at those. In verse 18, he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Now, at first reading, I don't know if you're the same as me, but I have a lot of questions about what those three things actually mean. Um, so let's have a look at it together. Paul wants the Ephesians to know first the hope to which he has called you. Now, I'm a pretty simple person, but there's a few things that I hope for when I wake up every morning. I hope for a sunny day. I mean, there's probably a perfect ratio of sunny days to rainy days, but generally speaking, I'm hoping for a sunny day. Um, I hope that my quest to get out the door on time is successful. I hope that um, my day at work is busy, but so it goes quick, but not too busy that it's too much for my brain to handle. I hope, uh, I mean, I'm a nurse, and so I hope that um, when I finish my shift, everyone that should be alive is alive. Um, I mean, I also work in palliative care, so that's a little bit more complicated, but um, I hope that when I get home, I have um, good snacks in the cupboard. I hope that when I'm eating dinner, there's a good TV show to watch, but I don't think that's the hope that Paul is talking about. Um, I pray that you may know the hope to which he has called you. One of the disciplines of the Christian life is that we would live hopeful. One of the disciplines of this age is cynicism. If you could take stock of your internal demeanour, is it postured towards hopefulness or cynicism? I pray that you may know the hope to which He has called you. Hope that God is making all things new. Hope that God is bringing dead things to life. 
hope that God is making all things work together for good. And, you know, all of this hope culminates in um, a life with Christ after death, that we will live with Him and become like Him forever. The pain will pass away and we will be with our Creator forever. Um, Isaiah paints a really great picture of what this looks like. He says in chapter 25, verses 7 to 8, There He will remove the cloud of gloom, the shadow of death that hangs over the earth, He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away all tears. He will remove forever all insults and mockery against his land and people. The Lord has spoken. But this hope informs our life now as well. You know, I read recently that joy comes from confidence. When we are cynical and critical, I find that it's very hard to be joyful. And so if you live in a constant state of cynicism, you might find that you live in a constant state of joylessness. You might say or think things like, nothing ever works out for me. When they said that, I didn't believe it. That will probably just be terrible, so I'm not going to bother. When we are cynical and critical, it's hard to be joyful. But we are called to hopefulness. And it's not hopefulness for hopefulness sake that just comes from changing our mind, but it's a genuine, confident hope that God is on the throne. His authority is above all things and I am participating in His story. Joy comes from confidence. Confidence that God is making all things new. Confidence that God is bringing dead things to life. Confidence that God is making all things work together for good. Joy comes from confidence that we know the hope that we are called to. So Paul prays that they would know the hope they are called to and the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. Now, we all have our own understanding of what um, inheritance means. Some of us might have been lucky enough to receive an inheritance or maybe unlucky because it means a family member has died, but It's important that we ask the question, what does Paul mean when he talks about inheritance? Now, for us, receiving an inheritance can be temporary, conditional, mixed with sadness or complication. But for us, as followers of Jesus, our inheritance in God is permanent, unconditional and is pure joy. This inheritance is all about our eternal future with Christ, which we talked about just before, that when our life on earth passes away, it continues on with Jesus. That is our inheritance as believers. But So we spoke about that as a source of hope for us just before, but there was something else that I noticed when I was reading this scripture, is that the riches of His glorious inheritance in His holy people. Now, Colossians chapter 1 also mentions this inheritance. And so again, we're noticing repetition in Scripture, so we're taking notice. Colossians was another letter that Paul wrote around the same time as he wrote Ephesians. And so let's read it. As we read it, notice all of the similarities about everything that we've spoken about so far. So Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 to 12, it says, For this reason, since the day that we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. 
We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of His will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience in giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of His holy people in the kingdom of light. Now, there were so many similarities there from everything that we've just spoken about so far and we will talk about in the rest of this message as well. But again, it says the inheritance of His holy people. This inheritance is not just your inheritance. It's the inheritance for God's people. It's the inheritance for the church. Now, this is important for us to note here because it's right at the beginning of Ephesians. And spoiler alert, the rest of Ephesians is all about the unity of the church. What started as Jews and Gentiles coming together where never before was there unity amongst those two groups. Now unto Jesus, um, there is unity. And now that that has transformed into the church of today, where all ages and races come together for one purpose, to glorify Jesus. Now, I'm both jealous, but also definitely not jealous of Pastor Paul preaching on Ephesians chapter three in a couple of weeks, because there's heaps of good stuff in there. I don't know how you could... um, condense it down into a 30 minute message. But I'm gonna borrow a verse from Ephesians chapter three. And in verse 10, it says, um, his intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. God's wisdom is put on display through the unity of the church. That people from all walks of life can come together unified under God. God's wisdom is demonstrated when the church is unified. Now, I can't do much about the church across the globe. I can't do much about the church in history, but I do take ownership of my role in this church. Now, when I say role, I don't mean title. When I say role, I mean my role as contributor. I contribute when I come here to the glory that God gets when we worship together. You know, in verse 10, it says that um, that the manifold wisdom of God is shown to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. And so when we are unified in our worship together, God's wisdom is shown to them. I contribute to making this a space where anyone that comes feels welcome. That, and that's not even just on a Sunday, that means in life group and in the rest of my week. You know, I contribute to building this church. You know, Jesus said, I will build my church and I am a co-laborer with Jesus. And so I join Him in that. I contribute to the faith that lives here when we gather together. I contribute to the life that lives here when we gather together. God's wisdom is demonstrated when the church is unified. The inheritance is not about me as an individual, it's about us as a church. I pray that you would know the hope to which He has called you, the riches of His glorious inheritance in His holy people, and the third one, His incomparably great power for us who believe. 
And so that's unpacked a little bit more in verses 19 and 20. And His incomparably great power for us who believe that power is the same as the mighty strength He exerted when He raised Christ from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly realms. So we've got here what that power is and where that power comes from. But what we don't have is what that power is for. But I noticed something again in the Colossians passage that we read earlier that I think is gonna help us to understand this here. And so again, Paul is praying for the Colossians. In verse 11, he says, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience. It's God's power that brings the dead things in me, the sin and the wrongdoing to life. It's that power that transforms me from the inside out. But it's also that power that helps me to continue that process with endurance and patience over a lifetime. You know, um, it was incredible on Thursday afternoon to get that storm and that rain that we had. Um, you know, I got home from work, I got some snacks out of my cupboard and I just sat on the couch and watched the storm. It was great. I was especially stoked because the sky was watering my plants so I didn't have to. Um, it was the power of that storm that kept my garden alive that day, but it's going to need to rain a whole bunch more times this summer to keep my garden alive because I'm probably not going to be bothered to water it myself. You know, a single moment of power and intervention from God is incredible to change things in our lives. But the power from God that gives us endurance and patience to continue in His will, to continue the process of change, at the very least is equally as important. You know, the thing about endurance is that it's painful. Um, a few of us were in Malulabar a few weeks ago um, at the same time as the Ironman event was on. And, you know, we were all talking about how difficult this endurance event must be, about how I don't even know how it could be humanly possible for a human to achieve this act of endurance. And the funny thing was that while we were commenting um, on this, we were all very much enjoying our ice cream. Um, but, you know, peak displays of human achievement are most often endurance related. From successful company founders who tried and failed and tried again and just didn't give up to sporting heroes who complete incredible acts of endurance, so it is with our faith. The ones who endure and persevere until the end receive their, their promised inheritance. And so we need the incomparably great power for those who believe available to us to achieve endurance in faith. And so until the end, whether the end is the end of our lives or the end of a difficult season or even simply the end of our Tuesday, it's God's power we need to end with hope and not cynicism, to end with the inheritance at the front of our minds that drives our hope, to end unified and not alone, to end with the power of the wind of heaven at our backs pushing us forward. And so all of that said, I guess simply the application for us today is to ask. All of these things are gifts from God Himself, available to anyone who asks. 
you know, maybe it's no coincidence that all of this that we've spoken about today is tied up in a very seemingly simple prayer from Paul the Apostle written to a church and a people that he cared for deeply. And so let's ask God persistently, consistently for us and the people in our lives that we would have the spirit of wisdom and revelation that we might know God, that we might know the hope that w- to which we are called, the riches of His glorious inheritance for His holy people and the incomparably great power for us who believe. Let's close our eyes, church. Um, you know, this is a, a moment just now for anyone who, you know, maybe they don't have a relationship with Jesus. You don't know Jesus personally. I just want to take a minute to talk to you for a moment. You know, um, we were talking about before that maybe the chief pursuit of our lives is to know God. You know, um, lots of people know about God. Lots of people have a lot to say about who they think God is. But none of that compares to knowing God personally for yourself. And it's amazing and incredible that in Jesus that is available to us. But I would even say that, um, that it's that that we were always designed for. That humanity was always designed to have a personal relationship with Jesus. But, you know, when we woke up and said, you know, I actually, God, I, I'm, I, I'm good. I don't need you. I think I've got my life figured out myself. I mean, that's simply what we call sin. I mean, lots of people have lots to say about what they think sin is, but sin really just comes down to that, that we um, decided that we just wanted to live our lives without God according to our own limited wisdom. But the grace and the love that is in Jesus, that what was required to be paid for our sin, Jesus paid it on on our behalf. He didn't ask us to pay it. He didn't ask us to live to an impossible standard, but He he paid that, that price of our sin on our behalf. And that was in the death and the resurrection of Jesus. That's why we celebrate it so much. That's why we go to great lengths to celebrate that so much because it was the key to our lives. It's the key to our hope. And so for anyone in this room who you don't have that relationship with Jesus, it's available to you now. Jesus is extending an invitation to you now. This is a moment for you to say, yeah, Jesus, I wanna have a relationship with you. And so if that's you, would you lift up your hand? I've um, got uh, a couple of friends at the back of the room who will just say hi to you after the service and let you know what some next steps might be. But if that's, if that's you, would you, um, would you lift up your hand and say, Jesus, I think this thing that I've been searching for this whole time is you. So I wanna live my days with you. Would you lift up your hand? Awesome, well, I'm gonna, um, I'm gonna say a prayer and um, if you can repeat uh, this prayer after me, uh, just for anyone in the room who might've said yes to Jesus in that moment or anyone online who might've said yes to Jesus in that moment as well. So dear Jesus, thank you for your death and resurrection. I want to live my days with you. Would you forgive me of my sin and help me to live life to the fullest that you promised? Amen. Awesome. Um, Yeah, maybe we'll keep our eyes closed for a minute. I'd love to pray for all of us together. Um, Jesus, 
we want to know you, Jesus. We recognize that, um, that every part of our lives is tied up in knowing who you are. And we're going to spend our whole lives discovering who you are. But, you know, right now, Lord, as Paul asked on behalf of the Ephesians, we are asking for our church here now that we would know you. We would know the hope that we are called to. We would know the glorious inheritance for the holy saints. And we would know the incomparably great power for us who believe. Jesus, we're asking right now, God, would you, would you, Holy Spirit, would you give us the understanding that we need to know you in these ways, Lord God. God, we come to you when we ask persistently and consistently in Jesus' name.